Well, back in 1928, eight men gathered in a hotel in New York City. Those eight men had more money than the entire government of the United States. What happened to those eight men 25 years later has uh, some tremendous lessons. Let's start here with the the book of Jude, found at the end of the New Testament. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. The book is just a few verses long. We're just going to look at verse 3. I'm going to read from the message translation. Listen to the first part of Jude, verse 3. I write to you begging. I write to you begging. Jude is about to say to people 2,000 years ago, same thing that he's saying to us here today. He has something he is pleading for people to pay attention to. There's a famous psychological study called the Ice Conformity Experiment. It's a a very simple experiment. A professor would have seven students who were in on the game. They bring in an eighth student who did not know what was going on. The test was very simple. The professor would put a picture up of a line. He'd put a second picture up with three lines. He would say, which line out of these three matches this line on this picture? The answer was always obvious. You know, the line was very similar to line A, and it wasn't at all similar to line B or C. So it's very simple. But what they would do is the seven students in on the game, they would agree to say line B. And when the professor brought in the eighth student, he would say, which line matches on this chart the picture over here? And those seven students with conviction would all say it's line B, line B, line B, even though the obvious answer was line A matched the picture. The interesting thing, they did this study dozens and dozens and dozens of times. What they found is that eighth student, even though the answer, correct answer was obvious, that eighth student 75% of the time would go along with the wrong answer with the crowd. How easy it is we get caught up in going along to, to get along. Even though the answer was obvious 75% of the time, they went with the wrong answer because that's where the group went. You know, many people may not know the name Victoria Woodhull. After today, hopefully her name really stands out because this is just one example of what Jude was writing about when he said, I want to beg for you to pay attention to something. Victoria Woodhull lived in the 1800s. She was a poet and an author, but something else about her is very important because today we live in a time where people teach things that are just not true and they try to say things that are right or now wrong or, or you know, truth is relative and morality is relative, things like that. And in the last number of years, there's been a certain person that's been put forth as a politician that has run for president different times and, and they say how unique and it's empowering and it's just... You know, this idea that they were the first woman to run for the president is simply not true because Victoria Woodhull is truly the first woman to run for president back in 1878. Why is it that somebody today is put forth as the person to be the first, even though it's not a true statement? It's just like the Ash Conformity Experiment. You know what? People are out there trying to take the truth and change what it is. And not just in history, but in morality. And it's our choice, like Jude's going to say, to say, you know what? I can see that line A is the right answer. I don't care if everybody else says line B is the answer. I'm going to go with the truth. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, if you want the truth to go around the world, you have to hire an express train. 
If you want to lie to go around the world, it'll fly light as a feather. So true. And we're going to look at some startling statistics about today and some things about what is true about today and how to live out what Jude is calling us to live out when he says, I beg you to pay attention to something. Because we want to live with our, our spiritual eyes open, and it doesn't matter which way the crowd goes, we want to be in line with the way, the truth, the life found in Christ. You know, Napoleon Hill once made this statement, you have no idea what it's like when not a soul on earth encourages you. I would give anything if someone would just tell me that I could succeed. Napoleon Hill at that time eventually found a mentor who, who taught him a number of you know, just powerful principles to reach goals. And Napoleon Hill eventually wrote a best-selling book, Think and Grow Rich, in 1920, and it's still a bestseller today. In fact, you go to the bookstore, it's probably sold out in most stores. They'd have to order it. It's so popular. But before he wrote that book, he had a heart's cry. You have no idea what it's like if nobody encourages you. And I'd encourage us to take a look at what he says and recognize that people around us are sensing and feeling and saying that same thing. You know what? We're going to look at some things today that where people are, are needing, looking for those who will follow the words of Jude and say, let me show you, let me encourage you, let me inspire you about how you don't have to live in fear, falsehood. You can know the truth and be set free by that truth. Somebody once said, you know, courage is endurance for one moment more. And people are desperately looking for those with ha that have that courage to say, let me show you how to live life. That life, Jesus said, is, is a joy that can't be taken away. That life where you can do all things through Christ. That life where he says you'll have a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Those eight men in that hotel, 1928, you go forward 25 years, here's what happened to those men. Charles Schwab owned the largest steel company, bankrupt for years before he died. Howard Hogan, president of the gas company, went insane. Arthur Colton made a fortune in the wheat industry. He died bankrupt. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, he went to prison. Albert Fall, a politician, sentenced to prison. The last three men, Jesse Livermore, a wealthy stockbroker, Ivan Kruger, a powerful CEO, and Leon Frazier, a bank president, they all committed suicide. What's the lesson from those men? At one point, they were some of the most powerful men in the world. 25 years later, their lives were disasters. What happened? They had traded on integrity. They had traded on character. They had traded on doing the right thing to simply do the go along to get along idea. And it brought their downfall. The rest of Jude, verse 3 says this. I write to you begging that you fight for this faith entrusted to you as a gift that you guard and cherish it. Listen to what Jude is saying. I'm begging you to fight for this faith with everything inside you to cherish it, to protect it, to hold on to it because there are so many things in the world going to try to take that faith away, that faith which is the faith that Christ is the life. When Jesus says, I'm begging you to hold on to this faith because he lived in a culture with a lot of false teachers. And we live in a culture where lies, discouragements, fears, they're becoming at a level that's, that's very, very painful and difficult. 
think about a few statistics here. In the past six months, three times more people in San Francisco have died of suicide than of COVID. And per the CDC, 25%, 25% of people under 30 have considered suicide in the past eight months. You see, when Jude is saying, I'm begging you to hold on to this faith, it's not just for our sake. It's for the people we come into contact's sake as well. Because there are people out there that are saying, I would give anything for somebody to encourage me. I would give anything for somebody to show me the truth about life. And it's our call to live as an example to that truth by the way we live our lives, the way our marriages reflect Christ, the, the way our actions reflect Christ. You know, as Tony Robbins said, we can deal with today if we can anticipate a greater tomorrow. But how many people are anticipating a greater tomorrow if they're simply consuming the, the mass information that's built on fear and, and very often misinformation and too often simply things that are not true? The confusion in the world today as, as people are questioning morality and saying, you know, what used to be considered sin now is considered fashionable. And people wonder why they are struggling with depression because they don't anticipate a better tomorrow if they're listening to certain sources that are always talking about how bad things are. We want to be the people that say, you know what, I believe in Christ and I can do all things through him. He gives me victory in life and he gives me this faith, this joy, this love, this passion. And we stand in that place of saying, you know what, in him, I have all that I need. You know, it's true that energy flows where attention goes. If our attention is on anxieties, negativities, the, the people that constantly talk about what can't be done versus putting our eyes and our energy towards focusing on Jesus, the massive difference between reflecting his light rather than this worldly thinking so many are caught up in. Here's a great example of a place that maybe you and I could take a look at today. Again, Scripture talks about our marriages should reflect this image of Christ, His love for the church. And if your marriage is not where you know it could be, here's some things you can begin to change today. This is from Barbara D'Angela. She shares something here, just very valuable. She said there are four steps to the death of a relationship. Step one, she says, is resistance. She said resistance is when your spouse, they do something you don't like and you notice you don't like it. And you feel this resistance inside. Maybe they tell a story and you don't like that story and you're with a group of friends and they tell the story and you say, I wish they wouldn't tell that story. Now, if you don't handle step one, you go to step two, you don't handle that, you go to three, you go to four. Well, four is destruction. So the idea is to handle these when they're small. So if you're at step one, you know what? Step back from step one. Don't let it go to step two. Think about how much you love your spouse and what you can do to meet their needs and to be there at a level 10 for them. But if you're at resistance and you don't deal with resistance, the next step is resentment. Resentment is now when there's an emotional charge, a negative emotion that you feel towards your spouse. You didn't handle resistance where you notice you didn't like something. Now it goes to resentment. 
and now there's an emotion into it. And maybe they tell a story, you know, that same story again to other friends, and now you say, it really bothers me when they tell that story. If you don't handle resentment, step three is rejection. Rejection is where you begin to push your spouse away. And you say things like, you know what, they always do this. And if I hear that story one more time, I'm just going to be so angry. If you don't handle resentment, you don't handle resistance, and you don't handle rejection, the next stage is either to move into divorce or denial. And the fourth stage of the death of a relationship is repression. You know what the truth is? Many of us probably grew up seeing repressed relationships. Maybe you're in one now or you know people in it. Repression is where you see a couple. They didn't deal with the first three stages. And repression is where they say, I don't feel anything anymore. And you'll see them out in restaurants. There's no passion left in their eyes. There's no joy in that relationship. There's no energy there. And when they're in repression, they may be in there for 10, 20, 30 years until one day one decides, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery and pick some things up. And they just keep driving. And here's what friends always say. You know what? I, I can't believe they ended up divorced. They always seem to get along. They never fought or anything. Well, that's because they gave up the feeling long ago. And again, the idea here is our marriages are called to reflect Christ. And if you're in one of these stages today, you can make a decision to say, what? I'm going to change this. I'm going to start doing things differently in my life. Jude says again, I write to you insisting, begging. You fight with everything you have in you for this faith. To guard it and cherish it. You know, Bernie Seagal shares this parable he learned overseas. It's about a village where they had this fear that their king would die if they didn't offer a sacrifice every year to the gods. And so one of the people from the village would be chosen by lottery to take the king's place and to be offered as a sacrifice in the hopes that the king would survive another year. And one day they choose this young boy by lottery and they do this elaborate ceremony on the day he's supposed to be sacrificed. And then the executioner, he lifts up the knife to, to sacrifice this boy. And the boy begins to laugh. And the people gasp. The executioner puts the knife down and the people bow. And he said, if you understand the parable, if you understand why the boy laughed. You understand a, a key part of life. Let's start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Notice Luke here, who wrote the gospel of Luke. He's going to write the book of Acts. And he begins the book of Acts by saying, Dear Theophilus. Let's just focus on that word there, Theophilus. It's very true that Theophilus, you know, very likely an individual as well. But the spiritual point is what does Theophilus mean? Theophilus means God lover. And of course, Jesus said, you know, when he was asked, what's the most important thing? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so when Luke begins the book of Acts by saying, dear Theophilus, what is he saying? He's saying, dear God lover, that we might take that personal understanding of all of scripture. When you're struggling in life and you turn to the book of Psalms and you say, David, what did you do when you were facing these obstacles and you read one of the Psalms, you know, read it as David responding, dear God lover, 
Let me give you some advice. When you turn to the book of Moses and you read the first five books of the Pentateuch and you're looking to understand deep spiritual truth, listen to Moses writing and saying, you know what, dear God lover, because we're called to be that God lover in this world, again, no matter what the rest of the people do, but to stop and say, he is my life and I want to let my life so shine that he is glorified in me and through me. You know, Rick Renner said it well, never forget a person's actions. Follow his thinking. The devil knows he just needs to find an inroad of access into your mind or into the collective mind of society. We are seeing that definitely in society. Again, with lies and half-truths, negativities and fears and anxieties, As Rick Renner goes on to say, though, you are the bishop of your own soul, the watchman on the wall of your life. What steps will you take to ensure the toxic way of the world's thinking is not poisoning your mental, emotional, spiritual atmosphere? When we stop and say, listen, I'm going to cut off the information of this worldly thinking from my mind, and I'm going to fill my mind with Scripture. Fill my mind with what is true, what is holy, and what is pure. And from that place, then I will be able to encourage those who are discouraged to show people in darkness the way to the light, to bring hope to the hopeless. General Patton once said, a good plan executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week. What does he mean? Begin today. Again, if your marriage is not where it needs to be, Begin studying healthy relationships today. Don't wait. If your prayer life is not where it needs to be, just start today to change that in the ways that you can. If you're finding yourself discouraged, begin to fill yourself with with the promises of Christ. You know, you can listen to sermons and, and be there at worship service and go online and listen to sermons and listen on the radio, but fill your mind and thinking with what is in aligned with the truth in Christ. Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. One of the most important things he said, and he shares it like this, the greatest secret of winners. What do you think the greatest secret of winners? Robert Kiyosaki wrote, again, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He travels the world. He teaches success and goals. He's interviewed countless people that have reached their dreams, and he said the greatest secret of winners. Well, here it is. The greatest secret of winners is that failure inspires winning. Thus, they are not afraid of losing. How many people out there are constantly afraid of losing and so they don't take the risk? That's the idea behind what Bernie Seagull shares in that parable. Why did the little boy laugh? As he goes on to say, he laughed because he was not afraid of death. And the people bowed because they finally found somebody who wasn't driven by fear. And life is not about living in fear. It's about living in a sense of faith. It's about walking in that faith and letting that faith shine through. Bernie Seagal shares this. I've met three people who were held up at gunpoint but got free. They all did the same thing. They told their attacker, I love you. This is not who you are. You see, when you operate from a different center, you believe from a different center. You know from a different center. 
Your actions are way different than worldly actions and thinking. Most people held up at gunpoint, terrified, and these people said, I love you. This is not who you are. And one man shared his captor, came back 10 years later and said, you changed my life. Nobody ever told me they cared before. That's why Smith Wigglesworth, his quote is so important when he says, faith is not believing God can. It's believing God will. Let me give an example from, from Pitbull, the singer. I listened to him being interviewed with Tony Robbins and tremendous life story where he came out of this background with you know, gang violence. And he said most of the people he knew at that time, they're no longer with us. And so he determined to give his life because of his mother's influence to, to bring light and love into the world. And so he said, I'm going to sing songs with positive lyrics. And he was told that'll never work. Nobody will buy that. But of course, he's one of the most successful singers today. And he shared his mother died a couple years ago. She gave him, he said, this special gift. Before she died, she says, at my death, God is going to show you a miracle. And he said, you know what? They had this deep connection and she was the spiritual leader. And he's known as Mr. 305 because that's the area code where he lives in Miami, Florida. And his company's called 305 Incorporated. And he said, my mother told me there'd be this miracle. And he says, guess what? She died at 3.05 a.m. And he said, I knew the the gift she was showing me about God's grace. But he goes on to share with people that he wants to encourage them. He said, I give my life now to encourage people. Let's do a couple of his quotes here. He said, own your life, own your destiny, be a leader. Stop criticizing and become a critical thinker. Be a victor, not a victim. Again, somebody who said my life is about giving now to others. There's a different quality to that life. Love the interview with Julio Diaz, a social worker. He said he was walking down the street and this young man came up and held him up at night point, demanded his wallet. He handed the wallet over. This young man began to walk away. Julio Diaz said, you know, it's cold out. You should take my coat as well. And this young man said, you're right. Give me your coat. He takes off his coat, gives it to him. The young man starts to walk away, and Julio says, hey, you know what? It's going to get rainy tonight. I bet you're hungry. There's a great cafe just across the street. Why don't we go get dinner? Now the young man's intrigued, and so they sit down and have dinner. And Julio Diaz talks to this young man about you can live your life as a taker or you can be a giver. They come to the end of the meal, and Julio says, you know, I was going to buy you dinner, but you have my wallet. I guess you have to pay. And the young man said about that, slides his wallet across the table, takes off the coat, hands it to him. And Julio Diaz said, there's one more thing. I want to buy something from you. I want to buy that knife. And the young man hands him that knife, and his life was changed. Again, Why? Because somebody that lives in a different center, a center that's not based on fear, but a center that's based on love, a center that's based on faith, a center that's based on saying, I want to do things for other people. When other people are talking about limitations, I want to talk about the unlimited grace of God. When other people are talking about fear, I want to talk about the promise of strength to overcome all things through Christ who liveth his life in me. When other people spread lies and information, I want to be there to show them the true words of Christ so they can take on the mind of Christ and begin to live in alignment with who Jesus calls us to be.
when other people talk about the darkness, we want to say, you know what? Let me show you the light. Because faith is not believing God can. It is believing that God will. That's why Jude says, I'm begging. I plead with you. Do everything you can. Hold on and cherish this faith, the faith, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of the people that God has placed in your life and in my life. Let our light so shine that all men see it and God be glorified.